Hey, before I uh, dive in, continue our series on origin, I want to introduce um, Cal and his wife, Cindy. If you just stand right there, that'd be great. Uh, they're part of our network, the Assembly God Network, and they're here um, just to hang out with me and to meet you guys. So let's welcome them. Thank God they're here. Hey, we are going to continue our series on origin, and we're looking at Genesis chapter 1, 2, and 3. Uh, and we mentioned um, the significance of these three chapters as we start God's story uh, with his people, with his creation. We talked about creation, community, corruption, and recreation. Let's say those together. Creation, community, corruption, recreation. One more time. Creation, community, corruption, and recreation. And this is a cycle we're going to see, not only in the first three chapters of the Bible, but it's going to be an ongoing theme throughout the Scriptures. God's going to create something new. It's going to lead to community, communion with God and with others. And then every now and then, except for three of you in the room, there's some corruption that comes in. Except for three of you. Three people are always confused at this point of the message. Three of you. And then there's that rebirth, recreation, the forgiveness, the mercy of God, the renewal of God in our lives. Now, last week we talked about rest. We talked about Sabbath. And let me just um, add one more thing I did not mention last week. I think it's really important for me, at least. Um, notice that God worked six days and he took a break on one day. Notice the ratio. This is my humble opinion. But notice the ratio. It's a six to one ratio. Let's continue. So as we dive into Genesis chapter 2, we're going to look at verses uh, 4 through 20. And we're going to talk about this idea of vocation. Now, when I talk about vocation, I'm not talking about your career um, necessarily. Uh, but I'm talking about the vocation that all of us have as humans here on earth. And Adam is going to be given a vocation and that vocation has to do with caring for God's creation. God created the heavens and the earth. And for the earth, he created man, male and female. He created them. And he created them to care for his creation. We are in partnership with God for his creation. Do you know sometimes some of the most spiritual things you can do is grow a garden, mow a lawn, pull a weed. Am I talking to anybody here today? Some of the most, some of the most impactful thing you will ever do in your alignment with the will of God is caring for creation. I really believe that with all my heart, with all my heart. And part of recreation or being renewed in the image and likeness of Jesus Christ is getting back to God's original design of our relationship with Him on earth. And part of that is creation and taking care of God's creation here on earth. So here's what verse 4 says of um, Genesis 2. It says, this is the account of the creation of the heavens and the earth. Some would say a second account. Some would say more of a micro account as, as, as a, uh, from verse 1. And he goes on, he says, When the Lord God made the earth and the heavens, neither wild plants nor grains were growing on the earth, for the Lord God had not yet sent rain to water the earth. 
and there were no people to cultivate the soil. So there was no rain coming down, and there was no one to cultivate the soil. Um, instead, springs came up from the ground and watered all the land. So you had springs as opposed to rain. Verse 7, Then the Lord God formed the man from the dust of the ground, from the dust. Everyone say dust. If, if you're a prideful, arrogant person, this should keep you humble. It keeps me humble. <laughs> from the dust we came, and to the dust we will return. I was at a funeral Wednesday in, uh, in Lodi, a family I knew out there. And, uh, and when the funeral was over at the gravesite, we, they lowered the casket into the dirt, right? And we're all going to experience that at some point. We all experience a birth and then a death. So it says the, the Lord God formed. So this was God's idea. Um, you were God's idea. You are God's idea. Uh, I mean, it's a, it's a work in progress, but you're God's idea, right? He formed you. He shaped you. He created you. And everything God touches is good. But he formed man from the dust of the ground. He breathed the breath of life into the man's nostrils. And the man became a living person. So we know at least there's this two parts of you and of me. And that is the physical and then this breath of life or this life being uh, life from God himself to become a living person. The breath of God, if you would. Verse 8, then the Lord God planted a garden in Eden. Who, now, who planted the garden? Yeah, any gardeners in the room? And, come on, don't. Come on. Come on, gardeners, unite. I've got a little garden in our backyard, kind of adopted it. It was there when we got there. And we're adding a few things to it. We've got a, a few little cherries. I mean, a tomato, cherry tomatoes. We've got a few pears. We, uh, we used to have plums. But where is she? Where, where? Who got the plums? The squirrels got the plums. I didn't get them quick enough. Uh, but it is so fun for me uh, to go out Saturdays and Wednesdays. Usually I try to get out there. I love being out there, but there's something about that that connects me to the earth. Then the Lord God planted the garden in Eden. Now, the word Eden means pleasure or paradise. Pleasure or paradise. You know, when God creates something, it's good. When God creates something, it cannot be better. God planted a garden in Eden. This idea, this pleasure, this paradise in the east, and there he placed the man he had made. The Lord God made all sorts of trees grow up from the ground. Trees that were beautiful and that produced delicious fruit. Beautiful, delicious. Beautiful, delicious. Well, I don't know about you, peaches coming to mind right now. And any peach lovers? You know, some of you, maybe whatever. But I love, I love when I bite into a peach and I've got to be over the sink to just, you know, that's me. But this delicious fruit. And then he said this, in the middle of the garden, he placed the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Let me ask you a question here today. Why would God place that in the middle of the garden? Have you ever thought about that? 
These are the things that keep me up at night. I know, I'm kind of a doctrinal Bible geek here. <clears throat> but these things literally keep me up at night. Because I'm just thinking the odds are if it's in the middle, it's going to be hard to ignore, hard to get away from, hard to bypass. You're going to constantly be going by it. What are the odds if it's in the middle? You know, you ever, you ever play tic-tac-toe with somebody and you're first? Which one do you take? You take the middle, the dominant position, right? But God put this right in the middle, and I believe, in my humble opinion, it was intentional. It was intentional. It was on purpose. It was on purpose. Let's keep reading verse 10. A river flowed from the land of Eden, this paradise, watering the garden and then dividing it into four branches. The first branch, called the Pishon, flowed around the land of the Havilah, where gold is found. Now, gold is valuable. Gold is good. Gold is worth about $2,000 an ounce right now. Anybody wish you would have bought gold a long time ago? Gold is good. So the gold of that land is exceptionally pure. Aromatic resin and onyx stone are also found there. The second branch called the Gihon flowed around the entire land of Cush. The third branch called the Tigris flowed east of the land of Ashur. The fourth land, uh, branch is called the Euphrates. A lot of people believe this would be our modern-day Babylon. Modern-day Babylon. Then verse 15 says, The Lord God placed the man in the garden to tend and watch over it. This was a partnership that God had with Adam in God's creation, to take care of God's creation, to manage it, to oversee it, to make sure it stays good, to make sure it stays good. So Adam was, by trade, if you would, by vocation, a gardener. He was a gardener. If you're a landscaper, you're at the heart of what happened here in the beginning. Adam was a gardener. Now, verse 16 but the Lord God warned him. Anybody ever warned by God? Come on. You're only a much few friends. Come on. You've you, 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 you thought about veering or you veered a little off track. I mean, not you. Not you, Chris. Not you. Maybe some others. And I'm just giving my own personal testimony here. And then a scripture verse you know came to mind. Or maybe a friend called you at the right time or the right moment. Or got a text at the right time, the right moment. To intervene from you moving away, from you moving off of the path. But the Lord God warned him. You know, God is so loving, he warns. Isn't that great? Isn't that great? Isn't that great? This is good. This is a good guy. A good, guy. Yeah, a good parent, a good parent warns. Come on. Come on. A good parent warns. Helps. It's part of the education process. It's part of the raising up process. You don't only tell them what's good, what they should do. You also tell them what they shouldn't do. Right? Warns. And this, God's a good God. So it says here, the Lord God warned him. Now, no, notice, talk about ratio. We got a six to one ratio earlier on the Sabbath and all that. Look at this ratio. You may freely, everyone say freely, eat the fruit of 
every tree in the garden. Good God. Good God. You can have it all. You can have it all. Peter, all of it. Except one. Now, oftentimes we, 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 we look back at Adam and Eve and we say, how could they have done that? Come on. I mean, because of them, look at me. Come on, someone help me out. I mean, they brought sin into the world. Why do I have to pay for it? You know, the truth is, folks, the truth is we are all having the same experience Adam had. And Eve, both, both. God warned may have it all except one, except the tree of the knowledge, the one in the middle, <laughs> the one in the middle that you will not be able to avoid. That one? Yeah, don't eat it, except the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. If you eat its fruit, you are what? Now, they knew there'd be a, death brings a separation, right? Death always brings a separation. Sin always brings a separation, right? Always. And they knew that was true. They could have all but one. They knew death would come if they have the one. And we're not talking about that today. What happens to them? But we're going to. Next week, we'll get to that. So God gives them a warning. He sets the stage for them, if you would. And I just want to refer to this portion, verse 16 and 17, as a test of obedience. When God tells Here's what God did. God told them what to do and what not to do, right? Here's your vocation. Here's all that you need from. And the only thing I don't want you to do is eat from this one in the middle. So it's a test of obedience. Now, have you ever been tested by God? <clears throat> Some of you are saying, brother, it's happening right now as you're speaking. Have you ever been tested by God? God will never tempt you, ever. He doesn't do that. <laughs> but he will test you. <laughs> he will test you regularly. All throughout the scripture we see this. God will test you. Jesus will test you. Holy Spirit will test you. And honestly, that testing is not for God's benefit, but it's for our benefit. And the question we have to ask is, will, are we willing to pass the test? I believe, this is my humble opinion, but I believe some people have arrested development in their faith walk with God because there's a test God's been asking them to pass for maybe a month or a year or even a decade, whatever the case might be. And, and, and that person has not yet passed the test, so they're not ready to go on to the next step of their growth. So God's going to give us tests, and he wants us to pass those tests. A lot of people would kind of describe this scenario here and, and kind of use it as a justification that we have free will, that we have free will. Because there's a list of do's and then a don't. So God gives them a test, and so there's that free will, that decision-making process that plays into our relationship 
with God. Now, verse 18 says this. Then the Lord God said, it is not good for the man to be alone. And every man in this room said, men should not be alone. No. Definitely. I'm telling you right now, if a man's alone for more than three days, he's in trouble. He's in trouble. It's right now, right now. But man should not be alone. So God, a compassionate God, a caring God, a loving God, a God with a plan, says, I will make him a helper who is what? I mean, you gotta, we'll get to it, but the expression Adam has when he sees Eve, he's pretty excited. He's pretty excited. There's like an exclamation point there, you know, in his language. But God wants to make a perfect helpmate who's just right. Now, I just want to wrap this up, wind this down by um, making sure there's no confusion for those who might be um, in this room who, who are not married. Or maybe you don't want to even want to get married. You don't want to get married. I don't know what it is, uh, but oftentimes in life, those who are married... Fondly look back to the single years. None of you, just those online. And those who are single can't wait to get married. Am I talking to anybody? I don't know why that is. I don't know why that is. But uh, I didn't get married until I was 30 years old. I was single for a long time. And I said, Lord, if this is what you want for my life, I'll, I'll go the distance. I will go the just in college we had a group we call call our group bachelors till the rapture. That was our group, four of us. We were on fire for God in Bible school, loving Jesus, Bible studies all the time, sharing our faith, involved in ministry. We were bachelors to the rapture. I'll never forget, there was a, a married student heard about our group. He's about 24. And uh, he heard about our group, and he was with the four of us. And uh, he started laughing at us, like mocking us. Laughing like, that's really cute. You guys are not going to be bachelors. You're all going to be married one day. And uh, he was right. Anyways, (laughs) let let me just make uh, just a uh, brief teaching on if if you're single and you have no desire to get married or you're not thinking that right now, yay God. Yay God. Uh, The the church needs to celebrate. You know, for so long, if you weren't married in the church, there was like no place for you. And that's just so, that's such bad theology. Really bad practice, if you would. Uh, my first uh, full-time work in a church was with single adults. 18 till, till the grave. We had three different groups. Um, and it was great. It was a great ministry. It was kind of ironic. I just came out of being single. I was just newly married. Sharon and I just newly married. In fact, I started single, and then we got married while I was at the church ministry. But let me read a scripture verse that was really important to me when I was younger and maybe encouraging to you. If you're single or you know somebody that's single, uh, in 1 Corinthians 7, the Bible, the Apostle Paul is going to answer a question the church in Corinth is asking. 
And here's where he says, now for the matters you wrote about, it is good for a man not to marry. It is good for a man, woman, not to marry. You don't, you don't hear that in church very often, right? It's good. It's good. It is good. But since there is so much immorality. Now, that was back in, in, in the original days. Is that true? Today? That's not, is that? Are we? But since there is so much immorality, each man should have his own wife and each woman her own husband. Right? The husband should fulfill his marital duties to his wife. Likewise, the wife to her husband. The wife's body does not belong to her alone, but also to her husband. In the same way, the husband's body does not belong to him alone, but also to his wife. Don't worry, I'm going to keep this PG. Don't worry, don't panic. Do not deprive each other except by mutual consent and for a time so that you may devote yourselves to prayer. Then come together again. Why? So that Satan will not tempt you. This is very important. Because of your lack of self-control. I say this as a concession, not as a command. Okay? It's not a command. It's a concession. I wish that all men were as I am and all Bible teachers believe the Apostle Paul was single, right, at this point in his life. But each man has his own gift from God. One has this gift, another has that. Now to the unmarried and the widows, I say, it is good for them to stay unmarried as I am. But if they cannot control themselves, they should marry. For it is better to marry than to burn with passion. And everyone said... Amen. That was weak, but I'll take it. Let me read a little more here. Uh, 1 Corinthians 7, 32-34 says this. I want you to be free from the concerns of this life. An unmarried man can spend his time doing the Lord's work and thinking how to please Him. That's good. That, that was me for years of my life. All about God, all about serving God. Verse 33, but a married man has to think about his earthly responsibilities and how to please his wife. Now, please God, single. Please God and wife, married. Simplicity, complexity. Ready to break onto a marriage seminar right now. Simplicity, complexity, right? Uh, I think I mentioned this before, but um, the love languages, the five love languages, when Sharon and I took those, if you're not familiar with it, you have to look it up. Uh, but when we took those, you're supposed to have a predominant, like one, you know, maybe a second one. Uh, when Sharon was done, I looked at her, and I'm like, I, I kind of already knew what it was. She definitely knew what mine was. And uh, I said, so what's your, what's your love language? She goes, all five. No. Can't do that. Please his wife. Verse 34. His interests are divided. In the same way, a woman who's no longer married or has never been married can be devoted to the Lord and holy in body and in spirit. But a married woman has to think about her earthly responsibilities and how 
to please her husband. I love when a balance comes into the service, man. Praise God. Praise God. And let me wind this down here. Uh, verse 19 of Genesis 2. Back to Genesis 2. So the Lord formed from the ground all the wild animals, all the birds of the sky. He brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And the man chose a name for each one. He gave names to all the livestock, and all the birds of the sky, and all the wild animals. But still, there was no helper just right for him. We're going to talk about that next week. I hope you can be here. If you know anybody who could use a little encouragement in their marriage next week, bring them, invite them. Uh, where to go there? Uh, I'm going to ask the music team to come up. I'm going to close with uh, some music here. But let me uh, let me pray for you as they come up here today. Has it been great to uh, see uh, our three people baptized today? What a, what an amazing, great, great God. Uh, Father, thank you so much for each person here. God, I'm so grateful for all you're doing here at Christian Life Center. Um, God, we know that um, you want to strengthen the body, but God, you want to also expand your church here in Santa Cruz. So God, we pray that we'll be a church that is um, always looking to share our faith, always willing to invite others in. Um, God, always willing to share the gospel so that we can see other people proclaim their faith for the first time and get baptized as these three were today. In Jesus' holy and precious name, amen, amen. If you'd like to stand during the music, you can do that.